In what we're doing now, we're getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply, what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary. We don't know the contrast organic. All right, folks, we are back. Meditations in Molotovs. I am your host, Vince Emanuele. You are listening to the Progressive Radio Network, where you can find us every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time. Well, there's plenty to talk about today, as I guess there is every week. Last week, once again, I want to thank Samantha Castro for coming on the program. People who are interested should check out the podcast's located at prn.fm simply go to the prn webpage click on the meditations and molotovs program or go under the list of shows or archives and you can find all of that information along with many other interesting radio programs podcasts this is something i've been wanting to reinforce but i haven't had a chance to because once i get on the radio I only have an hour, I only have you once a week, although maybe we can expand that independently, that's something that I've been thinking about, and I know I've been talking with people in the social media world about that, last week we live-streamed an extended conversation with Samantha and I after the program was finished, and we had wonderful results. There were well over a thousand people who viewed the live stream conversation with Samantha and I I think we went two and a half hours extra over. So that's been wonderful. And we'll look to expand that platform. I think the more video we can incorporate and so on. Look, here's the deal, folks. I have a limited budget. I'm a Luddite. And I do not live in a major metropolitan area. Though I live an hour away from Chicago. But still, that's an hour. So my point is, I don't have the money to pour into all of these new technologies, ways of getting information out there, particularly video components. And though, again, as I mentioned, that's something I'm looking forward to doing as time goes on. But I generally love just the radio. I love just talking to people. I love... Well, I guess in some ways I'm not having a conversation, but I am having a conversation. There's a dialogue in my head as there is a dialogue sort of going on in everyone's head thinking about all of these issues. And I think the more we can talk about any number of things, the better for all of us. Because people are anxious. People are sad. They're depressed. They're lonely. They're isolated. And while many people project something different, myself included, I think this election cycle and the bigger and much broader context of what's happening in the, in the world as a whole has had a profoundly negative impact on all of us. I've noticed myself becoming more and more cynical, more and more angry, 
more and more depressed as the years go on. Why, one might ask? Well, because everything, at least everything measurable, is getting worse. There are more police shootings, not less. There's more sexual violence and sexual assault towards women, not less. There are more prisoners, not less. There are more pipelines going up, more fracking wells going up, more coal mines being dug, not less. There are more drone strikes, more coups, more assassinations, more bombing campaigns, not less. And I think we can go on and on and on. And I keep bringing this up. Why? Again, one might ask. Because I get all of these emails and messages from people who are constantly saying, why are you so critical of the left? Why are you so critical of activists? Why are you so critical of progressive political movements? Because I want us to win. Because I didn't get involved with politics and with political movements for piecemeal reforms. And while those piecemeal reforms may be necessary and essential right now for many people, and I'm willing to put time and effort into making those things happen and have for the 10 years that I've been involved and the many decades other people have been involved, I know a lot of us didn't get involved to get a piece of legislation passed, a piece of legislation that more often than not, even if it is somewhat progressive, will be overturned or it'll be chipped away to the point where it wouldn't have mattered if it was passed or not passed to begin with. You know, maybe immediately having positive impacts for people, but as we see with, say, our reproductive rights to be a specific women's issue, we see what's happening. Rights being stripped away. Sick laws being passed, like the law here in Indiana, that the Republican vice presidential candidate, Mike Pence, signed, where people are forced to have funerals for their fetuses that were aborted. I mean, you have to be one sick fuck to want to get involved with that, to support that. And who writes this kind of shit? But these are the people... Here's We're going to jump way ahead here, but this is interesting because I keep hearing people say, oh, how can Christians and how can right-wing, so say traditional Republicans or say Republicans of the neoconservative bent support someone like Donald Trump? It's really wild... And, and liberals are using this as a cheap talking point against Trump. They're saying, and against the Republicans, they're saying, oh, for the party of family values and for the, a party of so-called Christians, how can you support a man like this? Donald Trump is everything that Christianity is about. Donald Trump is Christianity. Donald Trump is monotheistic religion par excellence, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. I'm not a fan of any of them. And I, you know, it's a shame 
that the left and that progressives are no longer critical of religion, particularly the monotheistic religions that have caused so much damage throughout time. So it's somehow against Christian values, so-called Christian values, to say that it's okay to grab a woman by the crotch or to sexually assault someone? Or we're the least bit surprised that Christians have no problem, right-wing evangelical Christians have no problem voting for someone and supporting someone like Donald Trump? That's not surprising, folks. What, do you, what kind, what, what history of Christianity am I missing here? Am I missing the part where, we've, where, where Christians have systematically assaulted, tortured, burned at the stake, killed, and assassinated women throughout time? Am I missing that part? Or, of course, the wonderful Christian creation story where Eve comes from the rib of Adam and then causes trouble and gets everybody uh, in trouble, <laughs> to put it one way. I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, come on. I mean, I, I just don't, I, this, this to me is very silly. So let's say, you know, anyway, my, my point here is that that's a cheap political point and that we shouldn't be the least bit surprised and that Trump stands for everything that Christianity is all about. Patriarchy, dominance, expansion, extraction, violence, power, corruption. And this really weird, sexually perverse way, not only way of thinking, but way of behaving. Of course, we see this in its worst form, say, in the Catholic Church. But, you know, when the audio tapes dropped, the audio tapes from 2005, when Donald Trump was appearing on Access Hollywood with Billy Bush, who I believe is related to the Bushes somehow. Somebody said that's a, a nephew or a cousin to the Bush clan. Nonetheless, and the reason I mention it is because it is, an, is it really any surprise that this guy is hosting an Access Hollywood TV show? And is it really any surprise that he's encouraging on and laughing with Trump as he's making these offensive and ridiculous comments? But you know, anyone out there who says or thinks that Donald Trump's comments about women or him and Billy Bush's conversation about sexually assaulting women if anyone is arguing out there that that is, oh my God, something I've never heard, oh my God, this is something so out of my reality, then number one, you live in a bubble. That's number one. If you've never heard people talk like that, if you've never heard men, I'm sorry, if you've never heard men speak like that, then you live in a bubble.
I'm assuming the vast majority, if we're being honest, and I'm being honest here, I'd be as honest with you folks as I am with anyone else, and I think my friends and family could attest to that. I think it's important for all of us to be honest. I'm going to have the same conversations with strangers that I have with my family and friends. I think that's the way it should be. But people in my family, not necessarily my immediate family, but some people in my family, my friends I've had throughout the years, coaches, fellow Marines, of course, that's a hyper-masculine example. People who have played sports, and i played sports my whole life, I continue to engage in competitive athletics. If people... now. It depends where you're at, who you're with, what sport you're talking about, what geographical region in which you live. Sure. No question. However, there are clear trends, and one of those trends is to demonize, I'm sorry, one of those trends is to talk about women in a sexually explicit, not only explicit, but offensive and or criminal fashion. I've heard that throughout my life. And I don't, again, the numbers would prove one out of three women reporting being sexually assaulted or raped in this society, harassed and so on, online, in person, verbally, physically. One out of three. So, it's not just a handful of men who are running around society harassing women. If one, th- one out of every three or one out of every four women, and many people argue the numbers are much higher, because many times people, of course, not only don't report sexual assault or rape, but they don't want to talk about it. And who would want to talk about it? Essentially, the most traumatic experience a person can uh, experience, can deal with can have in their lifetimes. And here we have the Republican nominee for president joking about doing whatever he wants to women with or without their consent. This is where we're at. And you know, before the program, I had promised people that I would talk about why I think Trump's presidency has been a good thing for this country as much as it's been a bad thing. This is one of the reasons why I would say it's been a good thing. This is a perfect example. Because the overwhelming response to Trump's absurd comments has been exactly what we would hope it would be, and that's outrage. However... And this is a big however for my liberal and progressive friends. Why is it that Donald Trump has received... Well, let me back up, actually. Number one reason I think that tape's important is not just because it shows that Trump's a misogynist and has sex probably, or most likely, as women have said in the past, so he probably chances are he has sexually assaulted people, raped people in the past. But it's surprising for people to hear the actual audio. 
And I always enjoy moments like this, not because I have a sick sense of humor, and I guess in some ways I do. I think you have to to survive in this this uh, reality right now in the world the way it is. But I I love when these audio tapes drop of politicians, media types, and corporate officials speaking in an honest and open manner. And and again, the reason is because we live in such a spectacle, a nonstop theater where everyone has the makeup on, everyone has the talking points, everyone's been trained in how to behave like a little monkey on the stage and read off the teleprompter and not show any emotion and not crack any smiles and unless it's on cue and so on and so on. Again, another reason why there's absolutely no reason to watch the mainstream news. Unless, of course, you're studying what's happening, what's going on, what are tens of millions of people being exposed to, and so on. But to take anything that you see seriously on the TV, you have to be out of your fucking mind. You have to be totally out of your, out of your mind. It's a show. It's an act. And so it's wonderful when, you know, there was a speech, State of the Union, Obama gave, oh God, I want to say maybe back in 2011, 2012, where a hot mic catches Boehner and Biden kind of bro-hugging each other, slapping chests, talking about golf, and they joke about the union struggle that was going on at the time because if people remember back in that time frame, the major conversation was about right to work and what was happening in Wisconsin with the major protests and Scott Walker signing the legislation. And Biden walks up to the the mantle and slaps Boehner's hands in Boehner because Biden famously called said that he was keeping the beasts at the gates and Boehner said, oh man, am I the beast? And Biden starts joking, laughing, and they start talking about golf. And This is what's so amazing about this system. Trump's supporters and Hillary's supporters are ready to choke each other to death. And if the economic situation in this country was a little worse and if the ecological situation in this country was just a little worse, meaning if we didn't have access to clean water or as much of it as we needed or as much of it as we could get, if we didn't have access to food at grocery stores and so on and so forth, if we didn't have a quasi-civilized or whatever you would call this society, um, and I don't want to get into semantics here. I think people know what I'm saying. Like if... If the systems and institutions that dominate our lives ceased to function properly or function in the way that they currently function, these people would be these people would be shooting each other no differently than people are shooting each other in Syria or Iraq. I guess here I'm sort of a what would you say historical materialist is that the right? Well, you know, I mean, look. If you don't have basic access to food, water, shelter, and so on, then you no longer just banter on Facebook. You start shooting each other. It's a pretty clear equation. Yes, people riot. Yes, there are systemic institutions that discriminate and jail and kill black people in this country. 
but black people and white people are not in an all-out war in the streets. Hell, we're not even in a civil war. We don't even have light-armed conflict here. Although, I guess we do between gangs and cartels and the police, but... Okay, I'm getting off topic. The point is, again... What is the point here? (laughs) Yeah, I got off track because I have a whole list of things I wanted to get to. And I guess the most important thing, the point to make about Donald Trump and the audio tapes is that none of this is surprising. We live in a patriarchal society. And anyone who's arguing that they have never heard these things before, I think, again, as I said before, is either living in a bubble or they're lying. And so one of the reasons I think Donald Trump's campaign has been positive is because it's brought up all of this stuff. It has made us as a people, as a country, as a culture, as a society, as a community or a so-called community, look in the mirror and ask ourselves, is this really the sort of society we want to live in? Is this or why is this the society that we've created? Why and how did we get here? How in the hell did we get here? And that's the question, of course, many people are asking now. But in order to round out that picture, in order to understand more about why we are here now, experiencing these two candidates, but particularly for now, let's talk about Trump. There is no way of doing that without talking about the history of patriarchy, a history of Western civilization, a history of civilizations. And as I mentioned earlier, that patriarchy is right in line with the Christian tradition, the Jewish tradition, the Muslim tradition, and we can go down the list. It's right in line with that. That patriarchal abusive behavior in the pursuit of power is right in line with those traditions, and we have more than ample evidence to prove it. So part of what I was mentioning earlier, too, is that I think it's important for progressive political movements, left-wing radical political movements, to incorporate a critique of patriarchy and an understanding of the institutions, the mechanisms that have been created based on that patriarchal foundation. I think that's a really important task for all of us to do that in our thinking, in our analysis of the world. Because that's, that's, that's honestly the first thing I thought of. I mean, I thought of that on a deep level, what we should be addressing, what we should be talking about, namely patriarchy and naming the problem. And then also, on a political level, I started to think about the hypocrisy the liberal hypocrisy and the liberal out, you know, people just outrageous, can't believe it. They can't believe Trump would say something like this. Where are all of these feminists and liberals and activists with regard to Bill Clinton? And you see, folks, this is part of the hypocrisy. We should be rising above this. We shouldn't be getting bogged down in defending Bill and Hillary Clinton, two scumbags, two, you know, worst of the worst people, and or Donald Trump, worst of the worst people. These are our enemies, folks, both sides, both sides. 
Now, as I've mentioned before, I happen to think it makes more sense to have Clinton elected because we're familiar with neoliberalism. Because I think we know, because, well, number one, I think we know how to resist it. And I think people are learning how to resist neoliberal systems. This is what we've been living under. Neoliberal candidates. But as my friend Samantha mentioned when she was here, and there's many reasons, but, the, you know, this one being another important one from the perspective of an organizer and activist. So those of you who are out there seeking to create a better world on a day-to-day -day basis, not just once every two or four years, it makes more sense for Clinton to be elected because it's not, we're not going to have to put out fires every two seconds. Yes, there will be plenty of scandals. Yes, there will be, there will be plenty of corruption. There will be plenty of bad policy decisions, so on and so forth. But the sort of people Trump will nominate, the sort of people who will be running the most powerful institutions and departments in the United States will be of the worst kind, the worst Americans imaginable. People like Rudy Giuliani and Chris Christie, who are not only a, what I would argue effective politics. One of the arguments is that Trump wouldn't be effective at getting what he wants done. Trump, Clinton will be more effective at actually getting evil things done for evil people. Number one, I don't think that's the case because I think Clinton is going to be under much more pressure than Obama has been. She's not going to get nearly the kind of slack that Obama got for about I'd say four to six years, really his whole first term and at least half of his second term. Very little, if not virtually zero criticism from liberals, progressives, and so on. Another lesson at just how unprincipled both sides can be. Again, and this is why a lot of working class people, people who aren't engaged with the system, they don't really take Democrats and liberals seriously. I don't take them seriously. I don't take a lot of progressives seriously because how can we denounce the Donald, which we should always, without also going after Bill Clinton and the role that Hillary Clinton played in sort of hiding these discretions, going after uh, sexual assault victims and so on. I mean, this is a very sick person. I mean, and the evidence is there. You could read Diana Johnstone's book. You could read Doug Henwood's book. You could read Liza Featherstone's anthology. It's all there. The evidence has been there. Liberals and progressives choose to ignore it. And so we focus on goofy comments that Donald makes, offensive and ridiculous criminal comments, while we don't, well, most of us don't say much about the crimes of the Clinton Foundation or how about Clinton's foreign policy, Hillary Clinton now I'm speaking of. And some people also argue that it's offensive, and I guess I'm 27 minutes into the program and I'm already breaking my promise, and I haven't even acknowledged it, but I promised people on the program at least a couple months ago that I really wouldn't mention Clinton or Trump anymore on the program. I lied. I guess I kind of have to mention it. I feel like this is a therapy session because we're all dealing with this madness. But how can people, how can liberals and progressives go after Donald Trump for things that he says that he should, he should 
absolutely be criticized for. But we don't mention Hillary's crimes abroad. We don't mention the fact that she cheerleaded the destruction of Libya, that she wants to escalate the war in Libya. I'm sorry, in Syria, that she voted for the war in Iraq, in large part leading to the catastrophe in Syria, in large part leading to the creation of ISIS, in large part leading to the deaths of over a million people. But see, this is people being manipulated by the media. It's this faux outrage. Everybody's outraged. Oh, Donald Trump is a scumbag. How could you vote for this scumbag? Can you believe what he said? Well, number one, yeah, of course I can believe what he said. Number two, I think there's a lot of bullshitters out there. I think there's a lot of guys who actually talk like that or similar to that. I think there's a lot of guys who are around people who talk like that and have friends who talk like that. And, you know, they want to seem like they're progressive or cool to females, particularly younger females who aren't going to take that kind of shit. And, you know, they jump all over Donald Trump. But at the, in the meantime, what are we actually sacrificing here? Some kind of principles, some kind of a principled argument of, about the fact that the Democratic president, former president, has similar not only it makes similar comments, there's no doubt about that, but also uh, even worse so is taking advantage of people. I don't know any of my feminist friends that think it's okay that Bill Clinton, whether consensual or not, was fooling around with a 20-year-old intern while he was in the White House after a long line of sexual indiscretions, sexual assault. How, how can this happen? I don't, I, it's amazing to me. There's nothing, not only appropriate about that, but isn't this exactly the sort of crap that, I, I mean, the kind of feminism I'm thinking of should be standing up against all of this. There's nothing feminist about launching wars. Doesn't seem anything particularly feminist about wanting to be the head of the U.S. empire doesn't make sense to me speaking ridiculous things doing ridiculous things on an individual level to women is completely unacceptable however systematically impoverishing women as hillary and her husband did when they were encouraging welfare reform and eventually getting it passed leading to over a, you know immediately pushing over a million families into poverty you know, they want to be tough on the tough on crime. Hillary wanted to be tough on the blacks. She wanted to be tough on them, super predator black teenagers. She wanted to be tough on immigration. She wants to be tough on those Iraqis leading to millions of people being killed or displaced, wounded, and so on. I have to find our principles, folks. We can't we can't pick and choose. And and one thing is worse than the other. But that's that sort of liberal hypocrisy that I've been seeing all campaign. And as I mentioned earlier, it's scary because now you hear people saying, oh, well, we need, you know, these jokers like Donald Trump. We, you know, well, how about a respectable Republican like who? Like Marco Rubio or George Bush or which one of these people, John Kasich, who have equally and I would argue more regressive and right-wing views than Trump has. Trump's an opportunist, folks. Let's not forget. He's not a true believer in anything. 
And yes, while we should denounce opportunism, particularly in the highest office of the land, though I think that's kind of what the whole office was built on, we should remember that Ted Cruz is worse than Donald Trump. Ted Cruz holds insanely regressive views about women. So does Mike Pence. It's just they mask it better. They're full-time paid actors. They're politicians. They're bullshit artists. That's what we have to remember. So while they might not be saying things that are uh, as lewd or as offensive on the surface, pay attention to what's actually being said. That's the point. It's kind of the point with the vice presidential debate or so-called debate. Can't really call these things debates. These are spectacles we'd see on Maury Povich or Jerry Springer's show. But Tim Kaine actually said some, you know, like 5%, 10% of what he said was interesting. And he came across as a jerk, so no one paid attention. Whereas Mike Pence, who was saying utterly insane and regressive things, came across as nice and calm and collected, and so people thought it was good. Thought he was a nice guy. Could be somebody I'd vote for. Because we're, again, not paying attention to what's actually being said. We are propagandized and brainwashed by this media machine which forces people or encourages people to pay attention to style over substance. And this is the problem with the entire conversation about Clinton and Trump. And so Clinton uses a really petty and criminal and dangerous rhetorical device when she starts likening Trump to Putin and saying that the Russians want him to be elected and that the Russians want or are supporting Trump and that the Russians are in bed with WikiLeaks and the Russians and WikiLeaks are trying to get Trump elected. Scoring cheap political points. And what's the cost? Well, the cost is a potential world war. And while we haven't experienced one of those in many, many, many decades now, since the 1940s, so upwards of 60 years ago, 65, 70 years ago, whatever that is, don't think for a second that it can't happen again. And yes, I understand the system is much more complex than it was back then. We live in a much more interconnected global economy. We live in a more interconnected global communication system. But that doesn't mean that we couldn't end up in another world war. And there are plenty of scholars and activists and citizens out there who agree wholeheartedly. We need to take this stuff absolutely serious. And I don't see people taking it serious at all. In fact, I see liberal friends and wannabe activists out there uh, spending their time criticizing Trump and Assad. And while I'm not of the lunatic left who supports dictators and so on and thinks that the friend of my or the enemy of my enemy is my friend, I don't play that game. And I don't think any of us should if we're going to be serious. Activists in the United States who want to focus on foreign affairs can have an impact on what happens in the United States, a limited impact, and maybe not depending on how big the movement is, but that's where people can have an impact. 
American citizens have absolutely no influence. Let me repeat that. American citizens have absolutely no influence over what happens in Russia with the Russian government or what happens in Syria with the nominal or active Syrian government. But we do have a say-so, or we should in theory, and we can sometimes with big enough and powerful enough movements to have an impact on what happens with the United States government. And that's why we should focus on the United States and what we are doing to provoke another Cold War. We need to go back in history and talk about this. You know, there was an, a re, there was an interesting article written by John V. Walsh in Counterpunch. This was on May 23, 2016. And he's qu- sort of quoting Stephen F. Cohen. And Stephen F. Cohen is a professor emeritus of Russian history at Princeton and also NYU. He's a contributing editor for The Nation magazine and so on and so on and so on. It's sort of one of the respectable bunch. And to be honest with you, I don't know much about his other politics, but when it comes to U.S. foreign policy vis-a-vis Russia, he is the best of the best. And I would put him up against any buddy on the liberal side who wants to argue for more hawkish foreign policy against Russia. Um, so anyway, going to the article, because this scoring of cheap political points with Putin for the sake of beating Trump or for the sake of trying to paint him in some unfortunate picture in the eyes of some Americans, which is crazy enough, by the way, the idea that a whole new generation of Americans is being ramped up with this nonsense about Russia is indicative of how powerful the system really is. Because I often hear people say, oh, with the baby boomers, all this stuff's going to die. Well, we'll see about that. I actually don't think so. I think some of it will, but these regressive views, this nationalism, these ideologies, they will remain with us, unfortunately. So this from John V. Walsh, only Donald Trump raises five fundamental and urgent foreign policy questions. So Stephen Cohen writes, Trump's questions are fundamental and urgent, but instead of engaging them, his opponents, including President Obama and the media, dismiss the issues he raises about foreign policy as ignorant and dangerous. Some even charge that his statements are like Christmas in the Kremlin and that he is the Kremlin's candidate, thereby further shutting off the debate we so urgently need. Walsh writes, Cohen first enunciated Trump's five questions during one of his weekly discussions on relations between Russia and the West on the John Batchelor show on WABCAM, also featured on podcasts. Back in April, Cohen said, let me rattle off just five questions Trump has asked. First, why must the United States lead the world everywhere on the globe and play the the role of the world's policeman? Now, for example, he says, in Ukraine. It's a question, and it's worth discussion. Once again, the liberals in this country and the so-called activists and wannabe activists who call themselves anti-war activists have not asked this question, and they continue to dodge the question. Although, again, it is the fundamental question that every anti-war activist in the United States has been asking 
for over a century. Namely, why must the United States maintain an empire? And I think it's important to rephrase Cohen's question and to rephrase Trump's question because there's this false view that the United States is a world's policeman, that we are this sort of independent and disinterested, and disinterested is the important phrase here, or the important word, the disinterested position of the United States, that we don't have interests around the globe and use our military as nation states have used militaries, particularly empires using militaries to get what they want throughout time. So it's not that we're a policeman, but it is interesting, isn't it, that now with Black Lives Matter and a discussion and a critique of policing in the United States, that maybe it is correct to start calling the United States the world's policeman because the police are now sort of infamously known or becoming known at least to many white Americans and I would, I would argue people around the Western world who weren't aware that the police were literally terrorizing entire communities, but particularly in this case, black communities. So why must the United States be an empire? That's a question worth asking. That's a question I don't see anyone asking. And it is actually one of the most important questions we should be asking in the United States. Particularly, let's say, in Ukraine. What are we doing in Ukraine? And how did this start? Secondly, as Cohen says, Trump said NATO was founded 67 years ago to deter the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union ended 25 years ago. What is NATO's mission? Is it obsolete? Is it fighting terrorism? No to the last question. It's not. So should we discuss NATO's mission? Well, those seem like pretty interesting, important, and reasonable questions to ask. Again, I don't hear any liberals asking these questions. I don't hear Democrats or I don't really hear any progressive or so-called left-wing activists asking these questions. So again, to repeat this, NATO was founded 67 years ago to deter the Soviet Union. That in and of itself is a debate and a conversation. Was that really the aim of NATO? Was there really anything to deter from the Soviet Union? And if indeed the West was deterring anything, what were its interests and why was it doing so? Surely I don't think anyone believes that they were doing it out of the goodness of their heart. So NATO was founded 67 years ago to supposedly deter the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union ended 25 years ago. So what the hell exactly is NATO's mission today? And is the mission for NATO and is NATO as an entity the concept obsolete? That's a question worth asking. Should we discuss NATO's mission? I think so. Thirdly, as Cohen says, Trump also asks... Why does the United States also per always pursue regime changes? Trump has asked, why are we pursuing regime changes and why have we pursued regime changes in places like Iraq, Libya, Ukraine, and now it wants a regime change in Syria, Damascus? When the result is, to use Donald Trump's favorite word, the result is always a disaster. 
but it's a reasonable question. And again, it's a question worth asking. And fourthly, well, and let's remember, Obama, the liberals, the Democrats, the liberal media, who I blame more than anyone, which is why I think it's such a joke that so many people want to be taken seriously by the liberal media. Not only will they use and abuse leftists to wherever they can, you know, like they'll throw somebody on TV for some ratings and then they'll tear them down and so on. I mean, this is pretty common practice. I've seen MSNBC do this for upwards of 10 years now. Why be taken seriously by folks who have also pursued regime change and promoted regime change? And then when there is regime change, the liberal media wants us to pretend like they're innocent when, of course, they're not innocent. Remember, MSNBC fired... Oh, God, I just forgot his name. Um, Phil Donahue. They fired Phil Donahue, and Phil Donahue is no leftist. Phil Donahue was simply talking about and trying to raise important questions about the war in Iraq. And people forget. Everyone wants to forget. Or everyone has such short attention spans because they're spending too much time on social media or flipping through their phone every five minutes or five seconds. You can't sit down for more than ten minutes without you know, having to touch something or see a new application or whatever. But, you know, sit down and think and look back and read about the history of what happened and why we are where we are, especially around the world today. Think about that. This has very little to do with blaming Russia and Putin. So fourthly, also, Trump has asked the question, why do we treat Russia and Putin as an enemy when he should be a partner? That's an interesting question in and of itself. That's a question on a global scale that Americans should be asking themselves. So, those are just four. When talking about NATO, Cohen had to say, when we, when we say NATO, what are we talking about? Uh, we are not only talking about the weapons and soldiers on land and sea. We're talking about a vast political bureaucracy with hundreds of thousands of employees and appointees that is located in Brussels. It's a political empire. It's an institution. It's almost on par with our Demar Department of Defense, though it gets its money from the Department of Defense mainly, as Trump points out. So therefore, it doesn't have quite the SWAT. But it has many propaganda organs. If you look at the bylines of people who write op-ed pieces in, Amer in many American papers, they are listed as working for the public relations department or NATO of NATO, or they formally did so. So this is another thing. You know, we need to pay attention. I saw a bunch of activists sending me emails about what was happening in Syria. I did a quick little search of who the authors were, where the organization comes from. I mean, it took me 10 minutes to do this kind of crap. And this drives me nuts because this is why we have the internet. So when someone sends me something, the first thing I do is I look at who the author is. Well, I read the article, first of all. If it's too goofy to begin with or if they're saying things that I, I think are a little out there or you know, merit some kind of a uh, citation but it's not there, then of course I'll look up who is, what is this publication, who is the author, where do they come from, what's their background, where's their funding coming from, what are their interests 
you know, this is something I learned from reading Howard Zinn's work. You're not learn. You're not going to learn this from listening to Ed Schultz. You're not going to learn this from listening to Tom Hartman. Okay, and I'm not saying that I'm the only person that you're going to hear this from, but I'm saying you have to seek out like the programs that are on the Progressive Radio Network. The programs that are on other outlets are the programs you have to be listening to in order to get this kind of a message. To ask critical questions all the time. So anyway, now I feel like I'm ranting, but here's here's you know, to finish this, I forget what else I was going to mention. So before the program, usually I get on social media and I'll put something out there. I'll tell folks, hey, I'm going to talk about X, Y, and Z today at the uh, or during the program, and so check it out. And so sometimes I get on here and I don't talk hardly about anything that I mentioned on social media earlier. I have a whole list of things that I usually talk about, and sometimes I get through them, sometimes I don't. But, you know, another important thing that I did mention that I do want to talk about, and that's organizing Trump supporters. Some of them, I think, can be organized. I think a lot of these people have very basic materialist sort of interests. You know, their concerns are, and, and then they're led astray. So they're not, you know, you're not talking about people who are inclined to join movements or to join organizations that are going to go out there and burn crosses in people's yards or physically attack people or verbally assault people. These are people who are being hoodwinked by one of the best promoters in the history of this country, Donald Trump, and by one of the, well, the most sophisticated and vast propaganda system in the history of the world. That's the United States media and the six corporations that own it. Those kind of Trump supporters, you know, these are some of these people I would include would be like my dad's friends. Some of these folks I think we can organize. But it's going to take a few things. I mean, number one, it's going to take us to not, you know, liberals and progressives and so on, not to go in these communities and say, oh, I'm dealing with a bunch of ignorant white men and, and they don't know shit. And they're never going to know shit and I'm not going to treat them with any respect and they're going to probably say things that are going to offend me. And in some cases, that's true. And we have to learn how to deal with that and talk about that. If indeed we're interested in organizing these folks. If people are just ready to cast off these however tens of millions of people who support Donald Trump, I, you know, I actually don't, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. I've been trying to formulate what I think about that for many months now, and I still don't really know. But there's a part of me that's scared that Trump supporters and the people who would fall under that umbrella are far more prepared for ecological collapse and for what's coming if things don't drastically change. And this is sort of another fundamental part of my understanding of the world that I, I get into trouble with people sometimes. They hear me say different words or they'll hear me talk about different things in a certain way, and then they'll send me messages and ask, Vince, what are you talking about when you say ecological collapse? Look, go to, well, check out some of Deep Green Resistance work. I mean, you want to talk about an organization that's out there telling it like it is in terms of what is happening to the world, the natural world, living things, us. You know, that's a group that's doing it. They are out there telling people, hey, this is what's going on. This is how bad it is. This is how bad it's going to get if things don't drastically change and now or yesterday. 
So all the evidence is there. So anyone who wants to argue, oh, well, you're being a little too catastrophic in your analysis and you're a little too out there, you're a little too apocalyptic. Hey, look, I, you know, I border on being one of those people who would like to live forever. I understand that's not the way that life works and I understand I probably should get used to the fact that I'm going to die, uh, but sometimes I want to live forever. So I, get, I, I can understand why people tell themselves these crazy things like, oh, everything will be fine, we'll figure it out. But unless we have resistance movements, and resistance movements really at this point are our only chance because this idea that well, we're going to remake parties and all this stuff, it, by the time we create a third or fourth party, by the time we uh, reform, if, if indeed you can or it's worth reforming the Democratic Party, this world will be gone. So we don't have time for that kind of crap. We really don't. And since all of our time, I think all of us have precious time, limited time on this planet, meaning all of our time and everything that we do day in and day out, it should be thought about. Even if you're going to relax, it should be, hey, I'm intentionally relaxing. Like I'm going to sit down. I'm going to enjoy this moment. I'm not going to think about other things. I'm going to sit on my couch. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to watch this film, and I'm going to love it. But after that's done, I'm going to go do something else. And I'm going to do that with this purpose because I know that I only have so much time on this planet. So knowing that we only have so much time on this planet, knowing that time is running out ecologically. And if you think that's catastrophic talk, I suggest reading the reports from all of the UN uh, departments on climate change, all of the UN agencies that deal with climate change, all of the university studies that are being done, and then all the way down to the stories that are being told by indigenous people around this world, by activists and organizers and people who want to live on a living planet. So, we talked about a lot today. Uh, I appreciate the people who constantly get back to me, send me emails, and tell me where they, you know, what they like about the show, what they don't like, what they'd like to hear me talk about, who they'd like to have me interview. Uh, we're going to have a guest next week on the program. I will let you know who that is on social media. So check out Meditations and Molotovs on Facebook. Also check my page out on Facebook. That's just Vince Emanuele. You'll find all the information, articles that I write, uh, articles I post from other sites, how to get connected with different movements and events that are taking place on those pages. And, you know, again, I really appreciate being able to have these conversations with folks and, and I appreciate continuing this dialogue both online and through conversations I have with the many activists and organizers and citizens I get a chance to spend time with. So, again, thanks for tuning in. You can catch me here. I'm your host, Vince Emanuele. You are listening to Meditations and Molotovs on the Progressive Radio Network where you can find us here every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time. In what we're doing now, we're getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply what it is. We don't know the contrast, just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary. We don't know the contrast organic
Go, 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 go.